Have you ever had a chance to observe someone over a long period of time? After a while, you begin to know their style. It becomes familiar. And did you ever stop to wonder how they got that style? Is that style Dave, of theirs something that they've Dave, been doing since they were a kid? Dave. Or Dave, did they? Dave. Hold on. Tom. Step aside. Tom Henschel. It's not your turn today, Dave. Quiet. Shh. Have you ever listened to a podcast regularly and begun to wonder about the host? Where did he learn everything he talks about? If I could pick his brain a little, what would he tell me? In today's episode, we turn the tables on Dave Stahoviak and get him to share some of his secrets with us. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 300. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, just for today, Tom Henschel. Leaders aren't born, they're made. This weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. As I said, I'm Tom Henschel. I'm usually hosting my own podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership, and sometimes, sometimes I get to be a guest here on Coaching for Leaders, but today in honor of Dave's 300th episode, congratulations, I'm taking over the role of interviewer. We're going to talk to Dave and hear some of the things that have shaped him into the warm and curious and generous host that we all know him to be. So I want you to think for a second. Think about you and podcasts. Think about those podcasts that you love, that you return to over and over and over every time. You have a relationship with the host. You have some sense that the host is going to take you on a journey, and the journey is always going to be valuable. Some you're going to like better than others, but they're always going to be worth your time, and you trust that host. Well, I think that unless you're a first-time listener, I think you keep coming back to Coaching for Leaders because of Dave. And today, I have the feeling, I'm not sure, but I have the feeling that we are going to experience Dave a little bit differently than we ever have. So first, let me start and say, Dave, welcome to the show. I am so glad to be a guest on my own show. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Thank I'm glad you. you agreed. And I need to start with that, which is this was my idea and you generously said yes. This was my idea. Well, let me, let me start it this way. One of the things that you do at the top of your show every week that is so helpful is you tell us, the listeners, how to listen to your guest why you pick that person, why you think they're important, how you think they're going to add value. I want to tell your listeners why I think you're going to be a fantastic guest today. You can give me a fine reputation to live up to, like Dale Carnegie says, right? Yeah, that's right. And speaking of Dale Carnegie, that's one of the things. You know, you've lived Carnegie for so long, and I, I here's what I believe. I don't. You can tell us later if it's true or not, but I believe that those skills allowed you to do coaching for leaders in a particular way. I believe that those skills actually built a career for you. And so I'd love for you to talk about what those skills have meant for you and where they've come from, how they've touched you and the way you think about them. That's one. And the other thing that I think would be great for your listeners to hear about, and I'm curious about, is coaching for leaders as a project. Once mm. upon a time, it didn't exist. Indeed. And today it does. And look, it's got an academy and it's got 300 episodes. And I mean, really, what an accomplishment. And you made it up. And I'd love to hear you talk about that as a project and being a project manager. I'd love to. I Great. think that's going to be a ton of fun. Okay, cool. So I want to start in an unlikely place. I think about some of the people that you've gotten to talk to, people like Adam Grant, who I, I just think is a superstar, somebody like John Cotter, who I've been reading for 20-some years. Oh, yeah, me too. So 
Is there any episode that you approached, a person that you approached, and you were nervous? Every single time. Really? Yeah, every single time, uh, to an extent. So the, the level of nervousness has changed over time, and the level of nervousness still changes depending on who the person is. If it's oh. someone like you, Tom, who I know really well now, uh, I don't have a lot of nervousness, but there's still a little bit, even today, thinking of being interviewed myself, uh, a little bit of nervousness of what will I say? Will I say the right things? That kind of thing. But particularly when it's a bigger name guest, you mentioned Adam Grant, John Cotter. Yeah, yeah, I feel nervousness, but way less than I used to. Huh, meaning way less than you used to in the history of the show or even in your career? What, how do you mean that? Uh, all of the above. It's certainly within the history of the show. I, mean, I remember early on, probably the first big name person that came on the show was Susan Cain, oh, the, uh, the author quiet. of Quiet. Yeah, yeah she's, she's so gracious, such a wonderful person. I, I had a great chat with her before the interview and after the interview. But I was nervous because I had never had talked to someone who was a New York Times bestselling author at the time. Mm. I was maybe 30 or 40 episodes in. This was a whole new world. Wow. And I, I remember that day I had, uh, I barricaded myself in our, our room where we had our studio that day. I was telling Bonnie, like, you know, stay off the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd locked all the doors. We didn't even have kids at the time, but I'd locked the doors just so nothing would happen. And if you go back and listen to that episode uh-huh. where you'll hear the nervousness isn't even during the interview. Huh. It's the 10 minutes I spent before explaining the value of the interview before the interview even starts. Wow. And I go back and listen to that now and I think, oh my, it's so painful for me to listen to <laughs> uh, because I'm like, get to the point. I would never do that today. But that was part of my journey of figuring out how do you provide a good experience for the audience and how do, you, how do I get out of my own way? Because it's really not about me. And, and I was so worried about me back then. And is that what created the nervousness? Oh, how I'd look and sound and to make sure I asked the right questions. And yeah, I didn't want to disappoint the audience that was there. But more importantly, I didn't want to look uh, look like I didn't know what I was doing in front of a really, a guest who's done some amazing thinking and made these great contributions to the world. You're, are you saying that now you don't worry about how you look and sound? I don't think about that as much. I still, I still worry about that. I still think about it. But the things I think of first now uh-huh. are what, are what is the question that I can ask someone like John Cotter or Adam Grant that is going to get them to say the thing that one of our Academy members needs to hear. So I'm thinking about it through the lens of what's going on in Brett's work right now. What's going on in Heather's work right now. What is Madeline dealing with in her, one of her stores right now. And so my nervousness isn't so much about me now. My nervousness is for the audience. What do I give? What am I doing or not doing as far as what I'm asking to make sure they get value? Wow. So your focus has gone off yourself and gone on serving your audience. Yeah. It, it only took me four or five years to get there. Granted, I've been teaching that skill at Carnegie for a decade, <laughs> telling other people, it's not about you, it's about the audience. So, but there is something, I mean, after you just have to do it for a while and mess up and be mediocre at it for a while. And then gradually, you know, I've started to figure it out of like, okay, and, and nothing bad has happened if I've asked a mediocre question, but I really, mm. I feel a sense of responsibility now because there's so many people listen to the show and so many people who, I, I would hesitate to use the word depend because I don't think that, I don't think there's probably a lot of people that depend on the show to show up every Monday morning to, for their leadership development, but they depend on what they hear right. as good, as good information that will help them in the workplace. And so I, I take that responsibility very seriously. I hear that as servant leadership, right? 
you and, and indeed right you want to serve yeah. your audience and yeah. you're you want to satisfy them yeah it's interesting that the way you tell it is that your nervousness has decreased the less you think about yourself and the more you think about others accurate yes i would say that's accurate and is that actually a carnegie principle i don't think that's specifically a carnegie principle but it sure is a good tactic yeah. <laughs> to not get so caught up in yourself. It's one of the things we've taught for years in, in the presentations courses that I've taught for Carnegie is um, I start a class, six-week presentation course when I teach it for Carnegie. Mm -hmm. I get up in front of the room and I tell people, this class is about four words. It's not about you. <laughs> and so everything great. we talk about in the class for the entire six weeks that I'm working with clients focuses around that phrase, it's not about you. If we can get away from ourselves in a lot of things in life, by the way, not just presenting or running a podcast, but we're just so much better at serving people. That's great. I mean, what a great lesson, right? Mm. Cool. So talk to us about Carnegie. So I, I'm, I, I'd love to hear, as an example, I think of listening, and I know that Carnegie teaches listening, right? Indeed. When did you first come on listening as an actual skill as opposed to just, you know, as a kid, I don't think we think about listening. It's something we do automatically. When did it become conscious for you that this is a skill you could actually get better at? Part of my job early on at Carnegie was when we would enroll someone for a class, either at a corporate site or for a public class, part of my job was to go and meet that person and to learn about them. And so one of the unique things at Carnegie and my first, my first boss at Carnegie was a Brilliant guy, such a caring person. His name is Tom also. Huh. And he he had a rule in the office that if you enroll someone and take a class, you're going to go sit down with them for a half hour and learn about them, learn about their story, learn about what it is that motivated them to decide to take this class or perhaps even make the connection that's going to help them to make the decision to take the class. Hey, can I interrupt here? So, yeah. do, was that half hour that you were supposed to end part of the sales process or after the sale had closed? Either. It, it didn't matter. If the sale had closed, we did it. If it was part of the sales process, we did it. If uh, it was wow. leading up to it, yeah, the whole thing. Well, what an interesting value to, you know, to, okay, so there you go. So yeah. you, you're in this 30-minute conversation. And it was very time-intensive at the time. And we do things a little differently these days. We're a little more efficient than we used to be. But what happened is I would be in these half-hour conversations sometimes for four or five, six times a day. Oh, my goodness. And sometimes they would go well. And sometimes they would not go well. And sometimes I would ask questions and I wouldn't feel like I'd get engagement. And I'd have to really think creatively of like, how do I find out about this person's story? And after doing that for three or four years, for many, many hours a day, I made a lot of mistakes, but I also figured out what works and what doesn't work. And I got pretty good at being nimble on asking good questions. So the interesting uh. thing is it wasn't even so much the principles from Carnegie's books or the classes. It was just being FaceTime in front of people day after day. And, and what I discovered in that process is the number one thing that helped me mm. to build a connection with people was just to be really darn curious uh. about them and their lives. And now when I sit down with someone, I have a hard time sticking to a half hour or any amount of time frame because I am so interested in where did people, like, where did they go to school if they went to school? Where did they grow up? Uh, who was in their family? Why did they take this yeah. job? I mean, you get someone talking about those things and it is 
I have heard so many incredible stories over the years of people's lives and the decisions they made in their careers. And so many of them are like, lives are so random sometimes, like why things happen the way they do. And uh, it got to be the point where I I actually, I don't get to do that as much as part of my role anymore. And I right. miss that. I miss the opportunity to do that. And now I get to do it on the show. You said in the middle of all that, you said some of the 30 minute interviews were mediocre. Yeah. How could a 30 minute interview be mediocre? What would that even mean? Oh, I wouldn't know what question to ask. And I'd, or I'd ask a question that was, I'm trying to think of an example of, you know, tell me about what are your goals for doing this or something like that. That's kind of just a more generic question. And someone would say something very generic back, like, mm. well, I want to be a better leader. Right. Oh, I see. Well, so, where do you go next with that? Well, I did at the beginning. I didn't know where to go next with that because I just said, oh, okay, well, good. This is a class about leadership. So we're good. <laughs> so originally you know, I said, hey, when did you think of listening as a, a, a skill that had to be practiced? And you told that story that really is about curiosity. And I think people experience you as curious. You know, those of us who listen to you all the time, it's like, yeah. you are. You're clearly a curious guy. I'd love to hear you think, do you split out listening as its own thing, as something you worked on specifically? What I've worked on is making the decision to listen. Let me explain. You and I are going out for dinner after we record the show tonight, Tom. I'm taking you to dinner and we'll go to the <laughs> restaurant and there will maybe be someone there who's a, a, a young couple who have just started their relationship and they will be doing a fabulous job of listening to each other. They'll make eye contact. They'll nod. They'll wait for the other person to finish what they're saying. They'll do all the things we see with good listening. And most everyone I know who's had a beginning of a relationship is very good at their listening skills. What is not always so good is five years later <laughs> into that relationship. Oh. It's not that they don't know how to listen. It's just that they're just not making the choice as regularly to listen as well. I know I have sometimes not made the choice to listen to Bonnie as regularly as well when we've been out to dinner, you know, 13 years into marriage. And so for me, it's not, do I have the skill set? I think a lot of us learned how to be good listeners when we were in kindergarten and as kids, and we learned those values in school, and we learned them from our parents and the people around us. But we've forgotten, and we've not put, in the, put the value sometimes on the decision to listen, to make that a very conscious thing to do and to be very present to it. So what do you say to, let's say, if it were somebody from your audience or somebody in an academy or somebody that you're working with as a client or somebody at Carnegie, who says, I get it, I totally get it, and I also know it's going to add my time to my day, and if I start doing that in every one of my meetings, I'm never going to get out of my meetings. I, I just can't do it. What do you say? On a practical level, when I've coached people on this, you know, we look at like, okay, time frame. Like if that's really the objection of you don't have the time, well, how much time do you have? Do you have 30 mm. minutes to have a conversation? Do you have 10? Do you have five? Do you have two when you're walking to wherever for the next meeting? Mm. So mm. figure out how much time you do really have. And we all have to work in the world of reality, right? And so how much time do you have? And then within that time frame, be present. Decide mm. to listen for that. If it's 30 seconds, it's 30 seconds. I mean, I've had, I've had times where people have said something to me like, you know, you said one thing to me and you really were present with me for, uh, for 20 seconds. Mm. And that made a difference in my day. And I know people have done that for me too. I remember things that someone said 10, 15 years ago that was just a sentence or two. But I, I remember because they listened so well and they were so present with me at that moment. That's interesting. Yeah. You do not seem to treat listening as a set of skills. You seem to treat it as an attitude. I do. Huh. 
Yeah. And and at Carnegie, do they treat it, do they teach it as behaviors? We teach the principle of be a good listener, encourage others to talk about themselves, but we don't spend a lot of time teaching how, Oh, which is interesting because I was thinking about, I knew you were going to ask me about this and I was thinking about the Carnegie principles and there are certain things we will talk about in a class, but we don't, we don't spend 45 minutes in a classroom, you know, here's, breaking here's the breaking out. Carnegie, Carnegie was so brilliant in <laughs> so many things, but I think Carnegie kind of knew like people know how to do this. Hmm. They just forget that they should. Wow, that's that's fascinating. That's great. What talk to me about Carnegie skills that have shaped you? I mean, again, my belief, Dave, is that you are where you are today in your career. You are where you are today with coaching for leaders because Carnegie has so infused who you are as a person. Hmm. I'd love to hear how that's happened. Like, what has that meant to you? It's really a. For me, it was. It's been a roadmap. Because I am, by default, a pretty quiet, shy, introverted person. I have been most of my life. Not as much these days as I used to be. But that's kind of my comfort zone. I don't, I don't get excited about going to the front of the room uh, and presenting most of the time. Most of the time, when I'm in situations where I need to get up in front of a room or present to clients, um, there's, there's, there's still a little thing in the back of my head. And I tell this to clients when I'm teaching presentation skills. There's always that little thing in the back of my head that says, run away. Wow. <laughs> Go run to the back of the room. Because hmm. that's not my natural habitat. That's not where I have my comfort zone. But what I've learned from Carnegie is, if you want to be influential in the world, and you want to um, help people, and you want to get your message out, and you want to make a difference, at least here in North American business culture, uh, you have to be able to, I shouldn't say have to, but I think most of us are going to want to choose to leverage those skills at least some of the time. Those skills being? Being a good presenter, Mm. being good at having a confident attitude in a room, being able to engage in a conversation when you didn't know what was coming being able to engage with a CEO of a company that you just met in the elevator and you didn't know that conversation was going to happen, but to be ready for those moments. And for me, Carnegie has provided a whole new set of tools that are still not the tools that I go to first. They're but not? in those situations, uh, some are. It just depends on the situation. But you know, I've, I've, I've used them so much now that they have some of them have become second nature. I would imagine, yeah. Like the curiosity is a great example. Uh-huh. Um, when I meet someone for the first time, I, that is now my default. I would say that's, that's more a default than who I used to be, which I would sit in the corner of the room and I wouldn't say anything. Wow. Especially in a professional context. But, but even some of those other Carnegie skills are not my default, but I know how to use them really well to the point where if you talk to one of my clients or someone who's seen me in person, most of them will say, oh, Dave's an extrovert and you know, he's, he's really uh, gung-ho and very enthusiastic and, and I am. <laughs> but in that context, right. because that's that's the skill set that's appropriate, and that's the communication method that's appropriate in that situation. So, what do you say to people who go, "Oh, well, yeah, okay," but then that's not authentic because it's not what you really feel. Well, it is what I really feel. No, because what you really feel is run away, or what you really feel is it's. I used to sit in a corner and like yeah. somewhere along the line you were. You were choosing it and it was a hard choice. It, true. There was a time that it was not so, as authentic. So if I had caught right. you on that day and said, well, then you're not being authentic because you know, you're forcing yourself to do that. It's not real. What do you say? What I would tell people today is when I interviewed Michael Port and I asked him that question, because uh-huh. he talked about that. He said, you know, life is all about different venues. 
and it's appropriate to be a different, to show up differently and use different skill sets and different communication skills in different venues. You don't show up the same way to give a briefing for a group of clients in a corporation as you show up with your spouse at dinner or with your children. And we all need to step into different roles and be have leveraged different skill sets every single day. In fact, every hour. And so that's just for me, I'm, I'm as genuine sitting down with Bonnie, I think, as I am with the kids, as I am with my clients, as I am when I'm talking to academy uh, members, as I am when I'm interviewing someone, those look very different mm. to someone who's watching. But for me, they're all very appropriate for the context of the situation. So I don't really see those as different. Well, and as I say, once upon a time, when you were choosing it and it was harder and it wasn't integrated in the same way it is, as it was today, yeah. I think people need to have faith that it's going to become genuine. It does. One yeah. of the themes that's emerging, I don't know that it was intentional, you've talked a couple times today about trial and error, right? Mm. And, and making mistakes that yes. those 30 minutes didn't know it's work or the beginning like with Susan Cain and it wasn't as good as it could be today and kind of finding your way and building your confidence by actually not doing so well. Is, am I getting it kind of right that that's true for you? Oh, you got it right. And that is something I have had to unlearn because all the years of schooling and all, you know, graduate degrees and all that. I mean, so many of us are trained by our school systems and by, you know, get an A, get 100%. You did a good job when you didn't miss that many. And I got more of that than most because I spent more time in school over the years. And so the, the message I think that we either intentionally or unintentionally send as educators a lot of the time is, uh, you know, a good student is knocking it out of the park every time, or at least most of the time. And I've come to learn through this project over the last five, six years now is the road to success is paved with failure. And I think even the leadership challenge, it says, you know, success, the road to success is not uh, littered with success. It's littered with failures along the way and learning to fail fast and to learn from that and then to do something different with that and see failure as data rather than as a, an identification of a person. Mm. That's great. That, that has told, I've totally changed my thinking on that last five, six years. If you had, really? if you and I had, had this conversation 10 years ago, I would have said, no, I got to get it right. And, and, and wow. that's, that's the thing that stops a lot of people from doing something like this, like starting a podcast or taking on a role that they're not comfortable with or um, volunteering for the, the to serve at their kid's school because they say, well, I'm not, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know how to do that. Uh, of course you don't. I didn't know what I was doing when I started this, but I knew enough to get started. And so if you know enough to get started and you're willing to fail and you're willing to fall flat on your face occasionally and be mediocre a bunch at the beginning, then you get the opportunity to fail forward, as the book says. Mm. Wow. So you've led us to this whole idea of starting a project. Uh, I, I'm really curious. I mean, maybe maybe that was actually the lesson right there was it about this idea of being willing to fall on your face. But yeah. uh, again, I can't imagine that you sat at your kitchen table and thought, oh, I really want to fall on my face. I mean, no, but right. Because I mean, <laughs> I don't think that's how we give ourselves permission. Right. So how did it start for you? And how did you get the first step done? It, yeah, that, so that I've learned along the way. But the starting point was, uh, like you, I've always loved podcasts. I mean, I was huh. I was listening to podcasts 
whenever they started and back when you had to plug in your iPod and <laughs> sync it to iTunes. You remember those days? Yep. And I would, I would go to work and I had a long drive. I would go up to LA. So I'd, I'd have a long drive and I'd sync, I'd, I'd download on my laptop and I'd sync it to my iPod and listen to marketplace on the way home from public radio. Mm. And, and sometimes I'd wait until, you know, it would air so I could sync it and I'd sit there in the office and wait so I could listen to it on the way home. And I got to thinking it would be fun to do a podcast one day, but I knew that it was going to require a whole different skill set and a whole bunch of work and learning about audio. And so I never really had moved on it. And it was Thanksgiving weekend. I don't remember which year, but it was the year before the show started, uh, 2010, 2011, I guess. And I was surfing. I was supposed to be working on my dissertation, but in, of course I was surfing the internet and I came across this guy who sold podcasting equipment and it was a podcast consultant, which back in 2010 was like, wow, like really like that exists. I had no idea. And I went on his page and he had some little courses you could buy and he had these packages you could purchase of equipment and I decided right then, I said, uh, we we are starting a podcast and I'm going to do this and I'm going to buy some equipment. And I, at the time, this was mostly just a tactic to keep from doing the thing I should have been doing, which is right. Yeah, right. right. Who so, wants to write your, yeah, your dissertation? <laughs> um, and so I, so I'm going to start a podcast and, and I had three serious reasons for doing it. One, I thought it'd be cool to have a podcast. Uh-huh. Secondly, is I had been looking for a show like this. And at uh-huh. the time... There was no, I kept searching iTunes for leadership, coaching, and I really wanted a show that was a good, solid show on leadership. Great. And it didn't exist in 2010 or 2000. At least I couldn't find it. And then the third thing I decided is that is, this was my excuse to buy equipment, <laughs> is the audio quality is going to be really good. Uh, so when people listen, should- and I'm going to do those three things, and it's going to be, uh, and I'm going to do it every week. And, and if I can do that, then it'll be a win. So from the time that you were downloading podcasts and thinking, oh, this would be cool, to the day that you pulled the trigger and bought that equipment online, how long? Eight or nine months. <laughs> well, why are you laughing? Does that sound long or short? It seems long to me. Like now, like why did it take me nine months? to? I mean, the equipment literally sat on my desk for eight or nine months before wait, I... Wait, wait, So you thought about it for eight or nine months, then you bought the equipment and, and it sat on your desk for another eight or nine months? Yeah, well, I thought about it. And I thought about it, I had that, like the Thanksgiving weekend thing. Yeah. So that was what November, the, sh- the show didn't start until August. Oh, okay. So the equipment, I mean, I put it all up and we used it for some other projects. We were doing voiceovers for e-learning at the time for a Bonnie and I and projects. So we were using the equipment, but, right, it, but not that's a podcast. not for the podcast. That's not the reason that I had bought it. And when you look back now, that whole gestation period, what do you tell yourself about that period? Fear. Fear of just starting and not knowing what I was doing and like making mistakes and what am I going to talk about and all those things that seem, it seems kind of silly now, but at the time that was, I think really there was a lot of fear there. So if you were going to go back and coach that 2010 guy who's sitting in fear and he's kind of paralyzed and, but he's pretending he's fine. Yeah. What would you tell him? Just get started. Just get in the game. Huh. And yeah. he, and he says, but I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. Do the best you can with what you've got. And, so that's that, what I ultimately started to do. But you know what that's like? That's like, if you've only got two minutes, listen for two minutes. Exactly. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you hear this kind of obstacle with people in your academy? Is this something that you recognize in others? I do, but the people in the academy are impress me every day. And they have those things and those obstacles, of course. But it seems to me that they work through them so quickly. 
so really? much so much quicker than I did. Really? And so I'm really Is that because uh, is that because of the academy or is that because of who you think they are? Oh no, it's not because of the academy or me. It's because of the kind of people who show up. I mean the kind of people who say, "Yes, I want to be part of this and be a part of a it a group and an organization that makes each other better and coaches each other and and and, and wants excellence." Really? And so I I know they struggle with fear as I do, but I I'm just so impressed by the it seems to me at least they navigate that so much better. Huh. But, you know, you never see all right. the fear too. Like, you, you you know, coaching. I mean, there's certain things you just never see. And, you know, we're all carrying our own baggage for how we navigate things. And, you know, I think of your one of your favorite books and my favorite books, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we see the action, but we don't see the fear behind it. And uh, hmm. And fear is a part of, for better or worse, it's part of the learning process. It's part of being a leader. So once you started the podcast, you finally... Do it. You do your first one. By the way, did you air your first one or was it like a test and you threw I it away? I did air the first one. You can still get it. It's at All coachingforleaders.com slash one. All right. <laughs> Go listen. Cool. So it finally starts. It does. Uh, how was the first, I don't know, how fast was your learning curve? What did you learn in the beginning? Well, I learned a few things. One of them is it's really hard to do a show without a guest. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work, as you know, Tom, because you produce a show every month without a guest and you are brilliant at putting together a script and, and thinking but, through what you're going to say. But that's also why it's only once a month. I know. <laughs> and mine would be too if yeah. I was still using that bottle because it's a lot of work. Wait, so your first show was Sans Guest? No guest? Most of the first 20 or 30 shows were without guests. No. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, most of them were without guests. There were a few, but many of them were without guests. And so uh, so a couple of things happen. That's hard. That's a lot of work. And so weekly, um, I mean, it seemed, and from an outside perspective, you might say, oh, you just get on and you do 30 minutes. Well, you have to think through what you're going to say. So 30 minutes is fine, but you know, maybe four hours of prep work to figure out what you're going to say for 30 minutes. It's so much, it's, it, it's even preparing 10 minutes of something. I mean, it can take hours. I know. Yeah. I'm there. <laughs> I know. I'm preaching in the choir for you, Tom. So the interesting thing is, so I started airing these shows and it was a lot of time and a lot of work. And, uh, and the other thing that happened is the show wasn't called Coaching for Leaders at the beginning. It was called Coaching Skills for Leaders. Mm. And in fact, if you go back and listen to the first 20 or 30 episodes, it's Coaching Skills for Leaders. And so I, I ran into a bit of a problem because the the premise of the show was around helping leaders build better coaching skills. And I kind of ran out of coaching skills yeah, after right. a couple of dozen I can episodes. Imagine, yes. Like, well, how many more times can we talk about listening, right? So <laughs> so that was happening. And then at the same time, so we had this other like sort of unrelated but very interesting correlation to that is I realized I needed to have a website for the show because it was just a category on our consulting page at one point um, oh. early on. It wasn't it didn't have its own website. And so oh, I, see. Okay. I needed to get a website for the show and I'm kind of struggling with this whole, like, you know, I've kind of done the coaching skills thing, but I like doing this and it's fun. And, you know, a couple of people are listening and we couldn't get the domain coaching skills for leaders. No. It, wow. It was someone else owned it and I reached out to them and they didn't respond. And so I don't email that person. So this presented a problem and an opportunity because I was thinking, well, maybe I'll change the name of the show. Mm. but what am I going to call it? And I got to thinking one day, it's like, what if I just dropped the skills word and just called it coaching for leaders solves two problems, right? It gets, it allows me to do a lot more with the show because already I was kind of tiring of just doing coaching skills. I wanted to do more and have much more, more broad conversations about all kinds of things in leadership. Sure. And, and I was like, maybe I can get the domain coaching for leaders. 
and it was available wow. for $2,700. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> nice. I was like, the first thought I had when I saw it, I was like, how am I ever going to explain to Bonnie <laughs> that there. we should spend $2,700 on a web domain? So I called, and there, uh, by the way, if you ever decide to buy a web domain and it's a premium amount, you can negotiate. That's the one thing I learned. There you go. So I called them up and they said, oh, you know, we'll, we'll give it to you for 1800 bucks. So Bonnie and I had this chat and we spent a couple of days talking about it. And ultimately, you know, we said, you know, if this is something you're going to really invest in and, and put your time and effort into, you know, if you feel strongly about it, let's do it. And so, so you made investments, right? You bought equipment, you bought a domain. Yeah. But also I hear that it's another version of failing forward, right? That it, you had to change, not had to, but you chose to change the name, you changed right. the format, you thought about it differently. It, it morphed really quickly. Yes. So it sounds like a steep learning curve. It was. It was. And at the time, I mean, we were, we were, Bonnie and I, this was before we had kids. So we were doing a lot of consulting projects and money wasn't as, as tight then, but still $1,800 was like a lot of money to spend on something that yeah. was not producing any revenue. I mean, this was right. purely an expense and money going out the door. I was like, all right, I'm not sure I want to, but Skin I mean, in retrospect, hands. it looks like a brilliant move. But well, at the time, it, it was like, or is this really going to, am I really going to put forth the time and effort to do this? But when I think about your listeners and people, leaders in businesses who have ideas, part of what you're saying is, look, you have to be a little fearless and you have to have skin in the game. Yeah. And skin in the game is good. Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. I mean, that's, that, how, how much has it morphed than in, let's say, the last 150 or 250 episodes? You know, the, yeah. how far away have you gotten from the original concept? Well, here's the other big point that I remember things changing huh. is so the, so we changed the name of the show and got the logo and all that and everything was great. And I was under the assumption that I had created the show for people who were wanting to become leaders and were aspiring leaders and were maybe six months, a year, two years away from stepping into a leadership or a management role. Or were people who had just gotten there, you know, okay. just just become leaders, and they're out, you know, searching for help uh, online and looking for podcasts that will help them to lead more effectively. And so that's who I kept aiming the show for for the first probably two two and a half years. And so at some point, I, I did an audience survey, and Tom, I couldn't have been more wrong about who was listening to the show because the audience survey came back, and something like three quarters of the people listening were already managers and two thirds of them had been managing five years or more. And they were fairly senior people in their organizations. Ooh. And half of our audience still today has a graduate degree. And I got the feedback from the first survey and I was like, mm. oh my goodness, this isn't at all the audience I thought I was talking to. And so right around, I don't remember what episode number was, 150 or so, I started to shift the conversation of the show to be less about some of the more what I would call foundational skills and a little getting into more and being comfortable going into a lot more of the advanced conversations about uh, all kinds of things and, and bringing on guests and bringing on big authors because I knew our audience really wanted that and was ready for that. And that's when the show really started to grow. Wow. That's really interesting. So you let it, you guided it from the seat of your pants, right? Yes. Your concept in the beginning, and then you listened to your audience and it changed for the better. It did. And of course the keep, 
point here for uh, for me as a lesson is I would have never gotten to that point of even being able to serve the audience if I hadn't started and just made an assumption about what I thought I could offer to the world, right? Because right. then there wouldn't have been an audience at all right. to have surveyed at all. So for me, it was, it was another one of those like, uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it a failure, but it was just a, um, I didn't I didn't attract who I thought I was attracting. And so once I figured that out, oh, that, that now I can change the tone of how I'm speaking and how uh, what kind of guests come on the show and what topics we as go you, into. As you think about this whole evolution for you, as you think about coaching for leaders as a project, what are the lessons that if, if I were a full-time employee and I had some idea, and again, I'm not going to quit my job. Maybe it's something that I want to bring into the work. I've got an idea. What are the lessons that are analogous from what you're telling us to that guy who wants to start something? Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of things. Um, first of all, is what we've talked about, which is just being comfortable with starting. Mm-hmm. And I love the concept from Eric Reese of the minimum viable product of figure out what is the what is the minimum thing you need to do to be valuable and helpful to people. And, okay. And and, and and that I can think of my project that way as opposed to, well, I can't get it to 100%, so I won't do it at all. Correct. Exactly. What's the minimum I need to do to get it there? Oh. Um, I love his book, The Lean Startup, by the way. It's, it's such a great book around that concept. Okay. And even today, uh, people email me um, regularly and say, I'm li- I've just listened to episode one or two of Coaching Blue, and it was so helpful to me. So it's not that those shows weren't valuable or helpful. They they were helpful, and I did my best, and I'm proud of them now. I, I, I cringe yeah. <laughs> sometimes when I listen the way I did it, but the content's still really strong there. All of those things I still believe very strongly. The the message and the you know the my my communication skills have changed, and the format has changed a little bit. So for so one is just getting started, uh-huh. and then I think the other thing is just um, being willing to being willing to, to be helpful to people. Mm. And and that's the thing that's guided me from episode one to today, to running the academy, through my Carnegie career, in friendships, is just try to be really helpful. And if I can be helpful to our audience, then, and I, and I genuinely approach it from the standpoint of how can I help the audience today, then even when I miss the mark, I think the audience gives me the benefit of the doubt. And mm-hmm. more often than not, if I approach it from that standpoint, I think I am helpful. And and my my goal anytime someone listens to the show is, can they take one thing away that they can use today? And that might mean that 20 minutes of the conversation wasn't valuable to them, but there was one thing that that guest said, or there was one principle that came out of that book that was featured, that that thing they could use today and help them to be a better leader. So can I throw you a tough one? Yeah. These all have been easy so far? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Not for you. <laughs> so, so I'm some guy at work. I have an idea and I'm willing to put in my weekends on it and I have a project and I am pretty clear in my head that this actually would serve my career. Mm. That if I could get this right, my boss is going to see me in a different way or it's going to elevate me. It's going to give me visibility. I don't know that it's altruistic, but it's good for my career. What do you say to that? I'm a big believer that what one of my mentors said a long time ago, which is you have to get as much as you're giving. Hmm. And so I think if you're giving, 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 and you're not getting anything in return, that over time that breeds resentment. Hmm. And if you're only getting, 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 and you're not giving in return, then you're taking advantage of the other party. And so 
for me, when I think about what I do and the work I do and when I'm coaching our clients, how do you get and also give at the same time? Wow. How do both both parties win? So when I if I'm coaching someone who's thinking about starting a project, so is this project, yes, it's beneficial to you. Good, it should be. Uh-huh. Why would you spend time and, and weekends in your career if it's not going to help you? Of okay. course, of course, have it help you. And not not but, but and how does it also help the company? What's the problem you solve? Are you genuinely solving a problem for the company? Or is this just something you want to do as a, your pet project? And if you do, that's fine. Do it on your own time on the weekends or whatever. Um, but how do you help the organization? And what is really cool is when you can do both. And of that's course. what I am even today for this show. Uh, I was just telling one of our academy members earlier today, This is, if no one was listening, I would still do the show because I get to talk to people who are driving my professional development. Right. So uh, when I get to talk and I have a conversation with John Cotter or or Michael Port or Susan Cain, they're teaching me and they're saying something different to me inevitably just because it's human conversation than I can read in their book. And I hear the interactions and I hear the human element that comes out in that conversation and the, the vocal intonations and all those things that are part of why we all love podcasts. And that's that's so exciting to me. And I that's how I learn. Because I don't listen to I don't listen to hardly any. Your show is the only show I listen to on leadership. Hmm. My my professional development on leadership podcast is from is not from me. It's from the interviews and it's from you because I listen to your show and and that's about it. I mean, other than reading books, those are the two audio sources I have. And that's and I'm still working on trying to do all the things I've learned on my, on this show. So that's a lot. That is great. And what a great place to end. So Dave, I just want to say thanks for coming on the show today. Can I say something about you two? Sure. One of the real privileges that I've had in this show building over the years is getting to meet some amazing people around the world uh, through our academy, through doing meetups, through interviewing guests. And Tom, you are absolutely right at the top of my list. I'm um, delighted. I, I listened to your show before uh, I started the show and I thought to myself, if I could ever be like that guy someday or meet hmm. that guy hmm. i would just be so tickled and i was so tickled when i got to meet you for the first time and um you have been such a huge supporter of the show you've mentioned it so many times on your show you've come on as a guest i've had people all over the world who have i've, I've emailed in my inbox right now of people saying i listen to your show and tom's show oh nice and to be able to most importantly call you a friend and have you as a dear friend has been a, such a privilege and it's been worth doing it just for those interactions and especially for being able to uh, be a friend of yours and i'm so grateful that you uh, reached out to me and pitched this idea and i've had so much fun doing it same here and you said yes so thanks i did i did thanks tom As I mentioned in the conversation, one of the great privileges I've had over the time in hosting the show is being able to develop such wonderful friendships. And uh, Tom is right at the top of that list as someone I've uh, really developed a great friendship with. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I hope you all found this valuable as well, just looking a little more inward and hearing more about my journey and the show. And uh, I don't do that very often, but I think that once in a while, it's good to uh, turn the tables here a bit. So thanks, Tom, for uh, not only the idea, but your willingness to 
help out and to make this a fun conversation. And uh, this is actually a good time at episode 300 for me to also direct the conversation your way. Uh, One of the things that I've done a few times in the past is conduct a listener survey in order to learn more about you and how I can do a better job of serving you and uh, being more resourceful to you as a Coaching for Leaders listener. And I am asking if you will take a few moments later on this week to complete my upcoming listener survey. It is going to be open from now until Friday, June 16th. And if you get the weekly leadership guide, you're going to get a message later on this week with a link to complete. It's just going to take about five minutes. And uh, if you don't get the weekly leadership guide, uh, you certainly can sign up for it. But you can also just visit the survey directly by going to coachingforleaders.com slash survey. The last time I did a major audience survey, it was really helpful to me in being able to learn more about the demographics of you your experience, what you care about, uh, what you're concerned about, what more things you're looking for. Uh, It really informs a lot of the decisions I make about who comes on the show, what kind of structure we have. So if you have a few minutes to do it, it is super valuable to me. And to quote uh, Jerry Maguire, (laughs) help help me help you. So if you can take a few minutes to complete the survey, it will absolutely help me in serving you better in the next year or so ahead. So again, watch for it on email. If you get the weekly leadership guide, it's going to be coming later this week. Or you can just go directly to coachingforleaders.com slash survey. It'll just take five minutes, a few demographic questions, and then a few uh, short answer questions. Uh, If you want to give me some feedback, I'd really appreciate that a ton. And in addition, while you're online, I hope you'll take a few moments to also set up your free membership at the Coaching for Leaders website. You will get access to a whole bunch of things, not only to the listener survey, but uh, perhaps more importantly, the weekly leadership guide and the entire library of all 300 episodes organized by topic. Uh, In addition, when you first join the free membership, you'll get access to my free 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. So if you'll give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, I'll help you get the most immediate practical actions for you to become a better leader. You can join right now by going to coachingforleaders.com slash join, or just go to the coachingforleaders.com website. You will see a place right there to activate your free membership. While you're there, there's a few episodes that are related to today's conversation. I mentioned once in a while in the past, we have looked a little more inward on the show and talked about some of the lessons of the show. And I've talked about some of the lessons I've learned along the way. Back on episode 57, I talked about a little over a year into this project, six mistakes that I made podcasting along the way. Uh, Episode 57 kind of takes you through some of my thinking at the time. Of course, made a lot more mistakes since then. I've learned a lot more, uh, but that'll give you an idea of what I was thinking early on. Uh, Also, episode 150, three steps to take after surveys. That was the time we were doing our last major audience survey. Uh, We talked about not only how to conduct a survey and what uh, lessons come out of surveys, but what to do after you administer a survey. And so talked a little bit about the findings from the last survey on that episode. So again, that's at episode uh, number 150. And then finally, episode 197, I did a solo show back then on what this show is about, uh, my philosophy, my thinking about what Coaching for Leaders is about. And so if you have a few minutes to uh, check that out and you're just kind of wondering where I'm coming from as far as uh, the values and the philosophy of the show, I think that'll be helpful to you. Again, that's episode number 197. You can access any of those just by going to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. Next week, I have a wonderful guest joining us. Patrick Lencioni, the author of The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, is going to be on the show. 
to discuss the lessons from his most recent book, The Ideal Team Player, how to recognize and cultivate the three essential virtues. We talk a ton about teamwork, virtues, virtues and values in organizations, and we talk a lot about hiring and interviewing. So don't miss that conversation next week with Patrick Lencioni on episode 301. Thank you so much this week to KM32Baller for the kind review on iTunes. Thank you so much, KM. Appreciate it. If you have a moment to leave a rating or review for the show, you can do so at coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. Thanks a ton for 300 episodes. Here's to 300 more. Have a great week. See you for 301 next week. Take care.